This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. I'm sure you have heard of the word wokeness, if such is a word. In fact, it has become a word by practice and by usage over the past uh, few years, and particularly in the past couple of years. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to discuss the seduction and the seduction, the seductive spirit of this wokeness. We're going to attempt to define what this wokeness is. It seems to be related to the word awake, but it doesn't seem to be awakening us to anything worthwhile, but rather perhaps... Uh, provoking us to go to sleep for the truth that should be awakening us. What America is witnessing right now is the birth of what some have said is a new religion that is going to dwarf all other forms of religion. The traditional prominent face of the United States, Protestant evangelicalism and Roman Catholicism, will soon be replaced by an altogether new religion that we are watching being born before our eyes. Those are the words coming from pulpit and pen in a large and lengthy article called Wokeness is a New Religion and Christians are Converting en masse. Wokeness Religion also has an acronym. Their acronym is DIE, D-I-E. It stands for Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity. Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity, and you've been hearing those terms. The religion of wokeness may very well be the most persecutory religion, if not in history, then certainly during the 21st century. In fact, the goal of woke religionists is to hunt down, find out, and unveil everyone who will not be converted and see to it that they are fired from their job, ostracized from their communities, and scorned publicly. White privilege is the woke religion's equivalent of original sin. That is, if you were born white, You are sin beyond redemption, and therefore you must be excised from society. It is the only way to remove sin from the society. You begin to get the picture. You begin to get why wokeness is a serious thing. And so I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. In a world where cancel culture and political correctness are reshaping how citizens across the United States interpret the political and social climate around them, another term has become as prominent in the mainstream, wokeness. The term itself, which became recognized in 2014 following the police-related murder of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, originated in the early 20th century as a catchword for black Americans to be watchful of threats to their communities and identity. But from there, it became a statement, meaning being politically and socially conscious of the events and actions of those around them. But like its relative cancel culture and branching off political correctness, being woke involves being aware of issues concerning social and racial justice and lack thereof, thus pushing for mass reaction from the public. And that's exactly what it gets. Mass reaction. Then from Catholic.com came this article. 
Can Catholics get woke? Can Catholics get woke? Well, we could ask the question, can Protestants get woke? The answer is yes and yes. Yes and yes. And so today on Viewpoint, we have a special guest joining us. The first time Noelle Maring has joined us here on this program with her book now, Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. Noelle, it's good to have some good news. With a name like that, uh, uh, you deserve to uh, have a public forum, so we're glad to have you on the program. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on, Chuck. We're looking at something that is uh, serious beyond most people's recognition. In fact, uh, when I Googled this subject, uh, came a, a number of headlines that caught my attention. For instance, here's one, Wokeness as Post-Protestant Neopaganism. A form of post-Protestant uh, neopaganism, it resembles dynamics which are characteristically Protestant, but it marginalizes and distorts the central tenets of the faith. Well, that would be true also for Catholics, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be true, and I think that that's one of the ways that it's seductive, is that it operates on certain Christian precepts that then distorts them and introduces ideology into the person that really replaces Christ in our hearts. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, bringing a wonderful name like that, Noel. It certainly is appropriate for this season, and uh, we need some good news out there. It's very hard to find it these days. But the Scripture okay. itself is supposed to be good news, so tell us a little bit about good news. Tell us a little, a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm, so my name's Noel. I was actually born in April, which my parents just love the name and obviously uh, love Christ and wanted to have something that was representing him in my name. Uh-huh. Um, I'm married to my husband, who with, we met at Westmont College, Santa Barbara, an evangelical liberal arts school. Well, wait a minute, Westmont College. Uh, that yeah. was out in our former digs out there. My wife and I have a number of friends that west, went to Westmont College. Okay. And okay. Uh, it's it's interesting. You went to Westmont. That's not a Catholic institution. Westmont. No, we went to Westmont. Um, I had stopped practicing the Catholic faith, and my husband was grew up, he grew up evangelical, and then we married after I reverted back to the Catholic faith, and he became a Catholic himself. Um, and we have six children and live out in near Westmont now, about half an hour south of it. Uh-huh. Very, very interesting. Uh, and, and you're involved, uh, the, the venue, venue out of which you are writing this book uh, is interesting. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. The venue, you mean my home, or do you mean this? Well, I mean, actually, uh, you are working with and representing uh, an, uh, an organization, an institution, aren't you? The think tank, yeah. So um, I am a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You don't sound like a fellow. You sound like a woman. <laughs> a scholarly fellow. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Just checking. So, yeah, under, under the leadership of Ryan Anderson, who's uh-huh. great. Um, great stalwart for cultural issues and intellectual himself. So uh, he brought my co-author for the Theology of Home Books, uh, Carrie Gress, and I along to be fellows around March this year. So I actually wrote the book before the fellowship, but I, I'm thrilled and glad to be part of it now. What it's thinking. Well, it's obvious that you are a clear thinker. You have uh, a real concern about history, about culture, and the role of uh, the church, Christian culture, excuse me, the Christian church, in the context of our culture, and uh, it seems that there are many that just don't quite perceive uh, what is really going on. I think that's fair to say, and I, I mean, 
you know, I really got mo- motivated about these issues because I saw so many of my fellow Christians kind of being pulled into this sort of woke progressive movement mm-hmm. and really uh, seeing it as you know, kind of the natural outgrowth of their Christianity. Um, where, but it seemed, I think, to a lot of people, including myself, that there was something that was really off about it, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I mm-hmm. sort of had a sense that it was unjust and unmerciful, like merciless new religion. Um, and so I just wanted to understand what was happening and have some clarity, because it seemed like a movement that operated on a lot of deception. Well, I think um, and, you're exactly right. And uh, if we were to listen to the words of Christ two days before his crucifixion when his disciples asked him what would be the sign of his coming at the end of the age the very first thing out of his mouth was take heed that no man dis- take heed that no man deceive you that's where we are we'll get back to that after this break friends our guest noel Merrick, her book awake not woke will make it available to you shortly Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Our guest today, Noelle Maring, says in the introduction to her book that woke ideology has crept and dripped like a poison into corners and cells of an unsuspecting body of people. It corrupts Christianity by turning it into a religion without justice, without mercy, and ultimately without Christ. And the stakes could not be higher. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, Noelle, you've analyzed this uh, very, very carefully. And I think it's interesting that uh, you're coming to this as one within the Catholic Church. Uh, I have never been in the Catholic Church, have been a Protestant from day one, but I, I really am not protesting anything. I, well, I'm protesting uh, woke religion. Uh, mm-hmm. I am protesting that. But uh, in reality, uh, there aren't going to be any Methodists or uh, 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 Baptists or uh, Protestants or Catholics in heaven, my understanding is only those who follow Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? Follow him and love him and know him, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, there you go. So it's not enough to name his name. Uh, It's to be lived out, and that's exactly where part of our problem is these days. It's easy to dismiss wokeness, you say, as being a movement on the fringe or out there. But it's not out there anymore. It's right up front and personal, isn't it? Yeah, I think that it really becomes something that invades all aspects of life. It's not content just being an institution. It actually wants to disrupt the person personally. And that's how most totalitarian regimes work, right, is that they operate on isolating human beings Mm -hmm. and disrupting families, disrupting relationships, disrupting friendships. It's really movement based on destruction. It can't build anything. It just works at critiquing and destroying things from within. Um, So it becomes very personal very quickly. Well, it's not designed to discern evil from God's or the Creator's perspective, but to create new and artificial evils, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's interesting. um, You know, what it really does is it says 
that to be judgmental is the worst thing, right? You were never supposed to identify any action as wrong or that there's sin in the world. Mm -hmm. But then what it does is it relocates sin into divining sin in someone's heart, which we're, you know, as Christians, we're always taught you hate hate the sin and love the sinner. You know, you you can't really know if a person is confused when they do a certain action. Um, So, you know, it's up to God to judge the heart. But we can say, well, this action is wrong. And the woke really invert that. They say, we can tell who's bad, who's a racist, who's a bigot, who is, has got animus in their heart, but, and, but we can permit any activity at all. So anything, you know, all sexual morality is upended. Um, everything is kind of, you know, becomes, you become liberated from the moral law, which we know flows from the very nature of God. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes this harshness develops where we no longer see activity as wrong, but we see people as bad. You're either good or you're bad based on your group identity or based on your allegiance to the ideology. So there's no place really for forgiveness unless you conform. That's right. No, forgiveness and mercy really just do not serve the cause of ideology. And we saw that in, or you know, historically in Stalinist Russia, in Leninist Russia, where they would teach kids that mercy was a really useless emotion. Um, and it actually it made you less of uh, a party, a party, party um, player. You know, you're less loyal to the party the more you're, you're willing to be merciful. Mm-hmm. Well, much of what Christianity is framed as a reaction to the ills of traditional churchianity. I mean, Christianity, <laughs> uh, churchianity. Yes. Um, why do you say that? Well, I think that that's one of the ways that they've been successful. So they said they'll say, okay, you know. There are people who have, you know, been sinners who are Christians who represented Christianity poorly. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we're human beings. In other words, we're um, hypocritical. We're hip, yeah. In which anyone who's really striving towards virtue is going to be hypocritical because no one is going to perfectly enact everything. You know, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. Um, but what it does is it takes real wounds that come from, you know, poor representations of Christianity or you know, poor relationships or you know, abuse. And it says, you see, this is the this is why we need to do away with you know things like the moral law or things like authority. This is why fatherhood is bad. This is why you know points to things that are are good and should be and um, developed and be made to be stronger and more um, holy. And it takes them. It says, this is, they are actually the problem. There is therefore all authority is wrong, um, moral law is wrong. You know any any sort of um, thing that points to a measure is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's interesting. I think that was well-framed by a uh, well-known uh, actress who, uh, I think it was at the Golden Globes uh, several years ago, uh, came out and made a speech. She said, down with patriarchy. Down with yeah. patriarchy. Well, that was a statement of wokeness, wasn't it? It was a statement of wokeness. I mean, that's a Marxist statement, too. I mean, that is, down with patriarchy is, goes back a long time. Mm-hmm. But the, the frustrating part about it is that, you know, there, it was a really deliberate um, decision to attack men and make them sexually licentious. Because I think that, the, I think that these, uh, a tyrann, tyrannical ideology understands that once you destroy the father, his moral authority, then women become cynical, distrustful, hardened. Children re- become rebellious. Isn't that exactly what's happened in our society and what's happening on spades? Exactly. And that's the, that's the frustrating thing is that they seeded something that would weaken men and weaken all of society in a certain way through, through sexual, the sexual revolution. And then they point to very real wounds that flow out of that destruction and say, you see, we're going to double down and say, now we need even more revolution. Well, they're prescribing the cause of the problem as though it's the remedy. I find uh, the spirit of that 
to have invaded even the uh, Christian churches, both Protestant and Catholic, uh, evangelical, no matter, no matter how uh, strong they may seem to be, no matter how fundamental they may seem to be, uh, it seems that this spirit of wokeness in, uh, what should we say, uh, defining down masculinity uh, and lifting up emotionalism and feelings as the final arbiter of truth and faith is uh, one of the key elements of uh, this wokeness in the church. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, even before, I grew up thinking that feminism was just the default, because it's in every television show, it's in all of our movies, it's just the way that we're raised to see the world, mm -hmm. this eye where patriarchy is bad, and that women's empowerment, that's how you become a good woman, is you become strong, you don't need a man. That message is seeded in every, almost every aspect of media to us. Um, and it's really hard to step back and see that you've been looking through a filter this whole time. Mm -hmm. And that that was actually an ideological filter that doesn't really give the full scope of reality. Um, and it actually presents you with a distorted version of the vision of the world. I think one of the uh, the big concerns that I have, uh, Noelle, is that this idea of wokeness, you call it an ideology, whatever term you want to use to describe it in that way, uh, is seen more in terms of uh, politics and political orientation rather than a spiritual problem. Uh, but I, th I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's tempting to confine woke ideology in terms of partisan politics. But this crisis we're facing extends far beyond that. This is a spiritual and religious struggle. No question about it. Tell us why, though. Yeah, I think you make such an important point. Um, and it's really why I don't think of the book as being political at all. I think of, you know, my, my desire to, to, to fight this movement as being something purely spiritual. Um, and, and, you know, if it were just, I think that's actually been a way that it's gained power. A lot of Christians, I hear a lot of Christians say, well, I'd rather just be neutral about politics because I want to promote Christ. Well, you can try to be neutral about politics, but this isn't a political movement. This is a spiritual movement. It fundamentally is an attack on the logos. Um, it's an attack on reason, an attack on the, per, human, the human person. On the um, very the word human. of God, both written and incarnate. That's right. That's right. The Word of God in the Jesus Christ and in the Word in the Bible, um, and written in our hearts too. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it fundamentally attacks the logos in every possible way, and so to relegate it to the realm of partisan politics is just not to see the full scope of what's happening here. Right. In um, fact, it actually ends up being further amplification of the deception without recognizing its true roots. Can you say more? What do you mean by that? <laughs> All right, well, you say that there's a, the stage is set for a collision between an illusory god of self and the one true god. I couldn't agree more. We've elevated feelings over faith for a very long time. In fact, it began uh, for public consumption back in the uh, early 1970s in California. I was a public school teacher at that time in Southern California, and we began uh, some specialized training called uh, encounter groups, and uh, we had to uh, take special time off on the weekends to go and be tra uh, trained in Rancho Palos Verdes uh, to learn how to speak again. And the way we were taught how to speak is don't ever say anything in terms of facts or truth. You have to always say, I feel, I feel, I feel. That's right. Well, that right. began in the schools 
and yeah. well, multiplied in our churches. And so yeah. feelings became the final arbiter of truth. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, data and facts really in some ways become insignificant to the world movement because it's, the, it's not oriented towards truth. It's oriented towards power. And I think that's a fundamental distinction we have to understand is that mm-hmm. for so long we've been trying to debate as though we are talking with an interlocutor who wants the truth. It's not the truth that they seek. It's power. And that that's all throughout the literature of the woke movement. Um, and so and for teachers, you know, they really saw schools as being a potential powerful conveyor belt for churning out new activists. And so some in education, philosophy education became reoriented away from discovering and understanding truth into one that was all about action and change. Well, in fact, the very founders of American public education were dedicated to that cause from the beginning. That's right. That's right. It's in, yeah, it's, it's all throughout. Um, It's, and it's easy to find, but I think that to a lot of people, it sounds conspiratorial, but this is documented and it's, it's, you know, it's historical. It sure is. All right, friends. Uh, there's no way that we're going to begin to completely translate uh, this wonderful book, Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. But you need to get a copy of it. It's a hardbound book, a $28 hardbound book just off the press, and uh, it's yours for $21 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Though its roots and history are atheistic, woke ideology takes on the manner and characteristics of a fundamentalist religion. Its vision is messianic. Dogmas are unquestionable. It co-ops the culture. It co-ops Christians. It's parasitical. It's woke Christianity and will inevitably reject Christ in all but name. We're going to go into some of the details of that, uh, asking our special guest, Noel Merring, to uh, expound on that, because those statements, all contained in a single paragraph, go to the very heart of the issues. It's about raising self into godhood. Raising self into godhood and to defy the authority of God, his recognition of sin as an offense against him. And now we've created an artificial kind of sin, a kind of sin that offends those who have already dedicated themselves to offend God. Therefore, new sins must be created and they must be expunged from the earth by cancel culture or any other means possible. It's about power, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You can see where the trajectory is heading. This is very, very big. It's very, very important. And, uh, uh, Noel, as I think about this, and we're told, Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Uh, he wasn't kidding. The assault on uh, our faith and trust in the Lord is uh, is carrying on with increasing vengeance, isn't it? It certainly is. But I think, you know, that even what you just said, we have great hope in Christ, and that can yes. give us a lot of courage to fight this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all, and also knowing that this is really damaging to other people. You know, this is this, there's nothing loving about this movement. It's not, it's 
claiming to be empowering for people who are marginalized, but what it does is it really weakens them and reduces them. Exactly. Um, and, and, and then gains, you know, then it, as every tyrannical regime does, it gains power for a few, but everyone who's, you know, everyone gets dehumanized in the process. So I think that Christianity it requires that we engage with this movement that is, and rather than just trying to remain on the fence, that we actually engage the resistance against it, uh, because it really is um, consuming a lot of people. It is, and uh, it's affecting our politics. It's affecting the way we think about one another. It's even affecting what pastors and priests will teach or preach from their pulpits. It's affecting everything, friends. It is poisoning our communication. It's changing our language so that we can't even speak straight and therefore can't think straight with one another. We're going to talk more about this when we get back awake, not woke. Friends, there is a rising of uh, a war, a seductive spirit of wokeness that's taking over. We need to understand it. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. What a joy it is to come before you daily here confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. 26 and a half years on the air, five days a week live. Who would have ever believed it? And friends, I tell you, uh, the, the need for this program and what we have been doing is growing by the day. Today on Viewpoint, our special guest Noelle Merring, wonderful name, means good news. Uh, she's bringing a book called Awake, Not Woke. It's a hardbound book, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology, a $28 book, yours for $21 on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255 writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians said, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Well, it's about time we awake, and uh, it's we, we definitely need to do that because of the seductive spirit of wokeness that has invaded our world. But it didn't just start recently. Uh, if you were to go back to uh, the mid 19th century, the mid-1800s in Germany, you would find this, the foundations, I think, for this spirit of wokeness uh, being uh, sown and fertilized and watered 
some might call it Hegelism, some might call it Marxism, but uh, it actually entered the church and metastasized all over the world. Uh, let's talk about that for just a couple of minutes here, Noel. What went on there in Germany? Sure. Well, you know, Marx was very devoted to Hegel, and Hegel's really, this can be difficult to understand, but one thing that I think is really important to understand about him is that he understood all of reality to be a being that progresses through time, mm-hmm. and at the end of history, we will achieve some perfect kind of heaven on earth. Um, a utopia. A utopia. Mm-hmm. And Marx really seized on that framework. So when you hear progressives say today, um, well, his, you know, I want to be on the right side of history. That really is seated. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad statement, but it's really expressing something Hegelian, which is that the world has to keep revolutionizing itself until it becomes this utopia. And what it implies is that we have nothing to learn from the past. What has come before us is something to sustain because it was less enlightened. Mm-hmm. And what is coming ahead in the future is going to be what judges us. So well, isn't I, that I exactly what the Bible tells us, a figure called, called the Antichrist? is going to bring. He's going to come in by flattery. Uh, he's not going to come in by force. He's going to come in by flattery. He's going to put him by his promises, just like a politician on steroids. And yes. uh, he's going to promise a utopia. Just trust me. Just believe me. Receive my mark of allegiance, and you will be in. That's, that's absolutely right. And I think it also, if you see it reflected even in the way that they distort history, History becomes a, a tool for manipulation. You can reimagine historical narratives in order to serve a political point, or you can chop down statues, or you can, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no reverence for the past because the past is not something for which we can learn. The past is only something from which we should separate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it even applies to our family. We, you know, woke children will come home and hate their parents oftentimes. I hear this from parents left and right. I sent my kid off to college. He came back woke. He hates me now. <laughs> you know, I hate everything I taught him. Um, and that really is built into the movement, this sort of disdain for tradition, for ancestry. For, well, let's put um, this in a biblical perspective then. Jesus himself said that in these end times, your children will rise up against you, uh, and husband will rise up against wife, wife, wife against children, the children against their parents. Uh, this is the kind of separation that this new wokeness is bringing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's disruptive at the most intimate levels, um, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's part of its power, because the person who is unrooted, unmoored from, from family life or from any sort of history or lineage it becomes someone who's very easily controlled, um, and, and that serves the movement really well. If you were to uh, trace what happened in mid-Germany there, uh, that is in the mid-1800s, uh, producing uh, Marxism, producing Darwinism at the same time, 1859, uh, producing Hegelism. But then out of that, not only came Freudianism, but came a liberalization of the concept of Christian theology and truth. And uh, Germany was the font of that. Uh, it uh, made its way across the, uh, the ocean to the Americas and resulted in uh, serious spiritual confrontation here, resulting in a series of books called The Fundamentals to try to restore uh, the basics of, of the Christian faith in the mind and heart of we the people. But that very spirit, uh, through a fellow by the name of Rosenbach, uh, introduced what is called the social justice movement. And uh, it didn't begin five years ago. It began in the early 1900s. Tell us a little about this history. 
Sure. Well, that was a movement too. It was in trying to. There are several thinkers who are trying to fuse socialism with Christianity. And what they what they did is they would take sin and abstract it. So mm-hmm. sins were no longer about your own personal fidelity or your you know your your pride, your ego, your your you know your lust, whatever. They became systems of sin. So um, you know um, you know any type of ism. You know that that, mm-hmm. that they're you know corporatism or capitalism or um, militarism or you know any, any insert what insert what you will. Um, but what it what it does is it really depersonalizes the Christian message. It means it no longer is about me knowing Christ and following Him, loving Him. It's me being the, having the right proposition, me being on the right political perspective, having the right political perspective, me condemning the the isms that I ought to condemn. Um, and certainly, there's a place for condemning isms if they're if they're built on lies. But um, but yeah, the social the social justice movement really really took took hold of a lot of Christian imagination and said that this was actually how we fight for, you know, justice and, 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 and the good. Um, well, and this is the natural outgrowth of Christ. Well, the prophet Amos cried, uh, let justice roll down as a mighty stream. Uh, but the question is, what is that justice? And is it separated or disconnected from the authority of God and his word? Uh, are right. we going to define and remake justice in our own image? That's right. I think that's a great way to put it. And, you know, one of the fundamental ways I think that we can see the shift is that the Christian definition of the human person is that we are defined based on the love of God. We're defined in relationship to God as sons Mm -hmm. and daughters. So we're defined by love himself. And the woke and the ideological definition is that we are not defined by the love of God, but by the hatred of society, either as by being in the oppressive group or the oppressed, oppressed group. And so you, you, it creates this anti-contra gospel message, not to spread the good news to people that they are loved, but to spread the bad news to people that they are actually hated or that they have hatred in their hearts that they, they did not realize. All right. So how um, does this there, how does this connect then, uh, Noel, with victimology? Everybody's a victim. Why is it that uh, everybody is a victim now? How does that connect with this uh, new woke ideology? Yeah, it's an interesting sociological movement where we have begun to find our moral stature in the degree to which we can claim a mantle of victimhood. Um, and that, I think, is largely attributed to this, this shift, this movement, to the, woke, to the wokeness. Um, but we, we define ourselves in three ways, I think, based on our victimhood. We gain moral stature by that, based on our sexual desires, mm-hmm. you know, identifying ourselves with our sexual proclivities. And then thirdly, based on our, our being alone in the cosmos, that there's no God above us, there's no, nothing to reverence. It's fundamentally a very isolating um, and reductive definition of the human person. But the victimhood piece, I think, is really important because there's real spiritual elements behind it. So, for example, we as Christians know that Christ is the ultimate victim and victor. The mm-hmm. victim is the victor, but he's the only one that's the perfect victim, the innocent victim, the truly innocent victim. Um, and I think the woke movement in trying to self-deify, they want to claim his innocence and they want to claim his victimhood. How do you wow. claim his innocence? You can't, but you can claim it in a relative way by trying to proclaim the guilt of everyone around you. And then you can kind of, in a comparative way, gain some, some semblance of innocence, right? But it's not truly his innocence. And secondly, they want to claim his victimhood. Um, and, and I think we see that clearly in the way that you, uh, that, you know, the, the ideology mm-hmm. elevates identifies goodness with being um, victimized. So when Jesus announced to his disciples in his final meeting with them uh, two days before his crucifixion, before the, uh, uh, I think it was actually before his uh, Last Supper, and they asked him, what would be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age, the very first thing he said was, take heed that no man deceive you. But he didn't leave it there. 
He then went on to say in Matthew 24, many will come in my name and deceive many. Wow. Much of this ideology is coming in the name of the Lord. We see even the Southern Baptist Convention now having slipped into wokeism, don't we? Yeah, I think we see it spreading all throughout pretty almost every church. I mean, I think that the, the devil certainly wants to attack churches, most first and foremost, um, and people who, who have a public you know, identity as being Christ followers. And those mm-hmm. are great you know, tr- trophies for the devil to corrupt. Um, oh, yeah. But, so, but so, when you think yeah. about that, it's not just in Protestant churches. I mean, there are many who, are, who believe that Pope Francis himself is an agent of wokeism and is actually trying to convert the entire Roman Catholic Church into wokeism. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that other than I find it to be a little bit hard, him to be hard to interpret. You know, he'll say things like abortion is murder, you know, transgender movement is e- deeply evil. Um, but then there are other things he says that are more confusing. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, the church is obviously made up of human beings who can really? fall and become, become confused and tempted. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's also you mean you and I don't have it all body. figured out? <laughs> I mean, it's also the mystical body of Christ, though. You know, yeah. so there's a, there's, a du- there's a duality there that, um, that I think we need to be aware of, obviously. All right. There, there are so many things you've talked about this matter of power, but when we talk about power, we need to talk about authority. And in my estimation, as I have observed, uh, both as a public school teacher going back into the late 1960s, watching the uh, complete revolution against all authority and sexual, the sexual revolution, all of that, uh, it metastasized into a God is love movement in the broader Christian community, both Catholic and Protestant. And through that, the, uh, the idea of God as truth, of God as authority, as, of God as judge, and so on, was abandoned in favor of the God of love only. Then that began to metastasize even the more so through the church growth movement, the secret sensitive movement, the emerging church movement, and a variety of other things that perhaps you're aware of, particularly in the Catholic Church. And authority, God's authority among his own people has fallen on very, very uh, difficult times. We'll talk more about that when we get back. This is Viewpoint, Noel Marin, our special guest with the book Awake. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The seductive spirit of wokeness 
actually is a war against God's authority. Lifting up ourself as the ultimate and primary discerner and arbiter of truth. Our feelings, therefore, have replaced the faith, and therefore, because everybody's feelings can be hurt, we are all victims, but there are only certain kinds of victims that are worthy of recognition, and the rest must be banished to wokeness hell. That's what we're really facing, friends, and it's dividing not only our country, but the entire world, and yes, even the church. So, Noel, speak to us a little bit about this authority crisis. Sure. So I think one of the fundamental errors um, and distortions of the woke movement is that they try to collapse the whole concept of authority into one of power. So mm-hmm. it trains us to see any time that there is an authority figure to see only how we're being dominated by it, rather than um, the, how it can be a good and something that points as a signpost towards God himself. Mm-hmm. I think fundamentally they're, they're attacking God through the mechanism of attacking So this the is the reason why they're attacking men? Yes, who were set, so. who were ordained by God to be the heads of their household. That's right, and what the thing it forgets is that you know, author, uh, real authority requires reverence, requires obedience, except mm-hmm. for, for God Himself, who needs to obey no one. And humility, and humility. Um, and you know, there's an old quote from Bishop Sheen: "Civilization is always in danger when those who have never learned to obey are given the right to command." Wow! You Say that again. Earlier, Say that again. Civilization is always in danger when those who have never learned to obey are given the right to command. Do you know what the most hated word in the church today is? Obedience. O-B-E-Y. It's deemed to be a four-letter word. I've had dozens and dozens of pastors and parachurch leaders on this program who've admitted that. Yeah. What does that tell you? It tells me how successful this movement has been. <laughs> that, that, that word is, you know, it's like the word housewife or something. You know, it's, people cringe at the very sound of it. <laughs> uh, but I think we forget that. I mean, with the, the idea that all the feelings you're referencing, you know, love without truth is merely sentimentality. And, it be, and, and Flannery O'Connor has a great quote where she says, love with, uh, without truth is basically leads to the gas chambers. You know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what that sort of tenderness without Christ leads to, you know, yeah. sort of the most horrifying acts of man. So, um, yeah, I think that this is, uh, and the irony is that, you know, the, uh, that uh, without a real sense of authority that is a measure where there's an objectivity, you know, there's an objective moral law that we're bound by. There's, you know, even two plus two equals five now. Like, in other words, even in mathematics, we, we let go of any idea of the measure. Um, it's so amazing, measure, isn't it? It's amazing. And without the measure, what arises? Tyranny. There is no, you know, and out of that chaos, it springs tyrannical um, uh, tyrants. Because the measure keeps us humble, it keeps us something. It gives us something to revere, and it gives us something by which we will be judged ourselves when we're in a position of authority. Um, so, yeah, it's an effective tool, and it's one that I think has been compelling for you know a lot of reasons that are really emotionally driven. But um, I think that people, I'm hoping, are beginning to see how how uh, chaotic it, it leads our culture to become. Well, one of the reasons for that is that the spirit of wokeness, the seductive spirit of wokeness, has actually uh, driven a spike or a sword into the very heart of the family, which is the foundation for all order uh, from God's viewpoint, starting with marriage. Uh, Now, marriage has fallen on desperately hard times, and cohabitation has taken over. All of these things can be traced to the spirit of wokeness, can't they? 
Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the spirit of wokeness, I think, was foundational to the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're seeing, and basically, it's, it's sort of a hatred of our own bodies, right? I think you see this, obviously, in the transgender movement, where, where people are, are being encouraged to mutilate themselves. But it was also present in the seeds of sexual revolution, where uh, women were told that, you know, the, the emotional connection that they, that's intrinsic to, you know, the sex act is something that is, you know, sort of silly or old-fashioned, and that they should be able to do anything as their bodies, with their bodies. And, um, and even a denial of the, the reality that they were having this sort of hormonal connection. Um, and then ultimately the denial of the bot at the baby who became a result of that sexual encounter. So Roe versus Wade uh, that is now going to face a, a big challenge, the, probably the greatest challenge uh, in the history of our country since 1973, uh, was actually driven by the spirit of this wokeness that was growing in the land uh, causing the Supreme Court to uh, to issue this edict authenticating abortion virtually on demand, when in fact there was nothing in the Constitution supported. It was all bru- uh, the result of a brewing ideology of wokeness. That's right. I mean, I think that we it, abortion is not incidental to the movement. It is of the very heart of the movement. Um, and and you see this also when you see how pro-life women, their voices are not not ever elevated as representative of womanhood. To be mm-hmm. a woman, according to the movement, is to be pro-choice, you know, pro-abortion. Um, because they define the very core of womanhood as being radically feminist, that you have to be fighting against your oppression, the oppression of man, um, in order to really be living out your womanhood. And to be doing anything less is to is to be a less of a woman. Um but yeah, but the, the, I mean, they, and also the abor- abortion is required in order to perpetuate the sexual revolution. It, you know, the, a baby makes you stop and say, "Oh, this is maybe not casual. There's a human being here now. Mm-hmm. How are we? You know, what are we going to do?" And so you have to, you have to get rid of the result that there's any meaning attached to sex. And so that that meaning sometimes looks like a flesh and blood, blood human being, and even that even that human being then has to you have to justify the killing of it in order to perpetuate the revolution. One of the astounding effects of this wokeness is what is happening to minority communities, uh, particularly the African-American community or black community. You call it the empowering the oppressed by weakening them, uh, taking advantage by purportedly elevating and making them a victim, which in effect actually is destroying their place in the image of God. How does that work? Well, I think if we can see it more clearly when we think about it in any other context. So, for example, any if you read biographies of people who had very hard circumstances, there's a common theme where someone in their life said to them, "You you have been dealt with a poor hand, but you can't you can't go through your life blaming other people and blaming mm-hmm. your circumstances. What can you do? How can you change? How can you transcend your circumstances?" There always has to be that sort of message of hope, mm-hmm. um, and and the Moab movement really doesn't want to give them that message of hope. They're trying to say that your circumstances are wholly to blame by your your by the oppressive groups outside of you, and that there's no agency within you, um, and, and that is really a message of despair. Because if you're giving someone a message of, that they are helpless, you're giving that you're you're seeding rage and despair in their hearts. But you're doing um, that in the name of hope. In well, the, the name hope, of hope and salvation. Right, but salvation. That's through, why it's so um, seductive. Means, yeah, yeah. It's saying if you can rage enough and change the, those, these, if you can change these structural systems enough, then you can have a good life. 
but you have to go do it, get it through revolution. You have to get it through politics. So politics becomes the means of your salvation. Whoa. Okay. This is invading the church. Uh, you're talking about a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. We have identified, we've diagnosed, we've analyzed. I think we've done a fairly decent job in 45 minutes of doing this. The question then is, what do you say then specifically uh, to our listeners today not to be caught up in this and feel under the pressure of wokeness? I think I would say a few things. The first one being something you touched upon earlier, that this is not a political battle, it's a spiritual battle. So we need to be first and foremost people of prayer, Mm -hmm. deeply aligning ourselves with Christ so that we might reflect him in the world. Secondly, I think that we sh- I would tell them that we need two things, clarity and courage. We need to understand what's happening because it's going to keep trying to confuse us and make us think, um, you know, you're a bad person if you don't support gay marriage. You're a bad person if you're not on this side, if you're not voting for this person. We have to ident- understand that these are lies and, and they don't work on us. They're manipulations and they're lies. Um, and, the, and the clearer we are about that, then the more we will be disposed towards having the courage that I think comes from Christ, which is to fight what I think is fundamentally a diabolical movement and resist it to whatever degree we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if that's going to mean our lives or our livelihoods, but I know how we become the people who are willing to be, make those hard decisions if, if, if called upon and by privileging God in our lives. In the well, small some people, our parents are trying to do that in school boards. And they're being arrested. Uh, just recently, a pastor and someone else was arrested because they dared to stand up and speak uh, peacefully in a school board meeting, and the constabulary was called in to take them out and put them in jail. Yeah, it's really outrageous. But I think we saw in Loudoun County that there was a real backlash against against this sort of tyranny, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those are not Christian parents. There's a lot of, uh, right. you know, more progressive, you know, lefty by nature people who are not just not super ideological and they're seeing through this and and seeing that that it's unjust and harmful. All right. Now, the Bible tells us, uh, Jesus talked about this, the Apostle Paul talked about it, the Apostle Peter talked about it, uh, that in these end times, which I believe we're in, uh, there will be a great falling away. The word apostasy is used in one place a great falling away before the counterfeit Christ figure is even revealed. Do you see that falling away taking place and that this is a major part of it? Well, I certainly see that there's a great falling away. I mean, the, statistically, the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is, uh-huh. has been massive over the past 50 years. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure about that. At times, it could be, I'm not, but I, I just don't know that I would say that for sure. Um, it just feels beyond the scope of my, my, my knowledge and study. But certainly... I you mean it would be exceeding the scope of your privilege as a th- <laughs> thought tank uh, <laughs> spokesperson? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that. Uh, the end time privilege. <laughs> okay, well, now you are speaking from Southern Cal- the central part of Southern California, Ventura, right there on the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent, uh, I don't know how many years you've been there. How many years in California? Besides, one, with the exception of one year, we've been here for about 20 years. Okay. Well, I spent 30 years in Southern California, four years in Central California, and about nine months in Northern California. 
So I've got a good piece of my uh, my life there in California. The Lord called us to leave there, uh, to go to the place uh, of the where the cross of the covenant was first planted on these shores in 1607, right here in Richmond, Virginia, on the James River. And from here, we have uh, proclaimed uh, this message, the message of returning to the Lord, returning to our trust in Him, uh, repentance, and all of these things uh, in the context of our nation. Now, how is it that you spending 20 years in California and the spirit of wokeness that exists there, my having come from there, and having grown up in the spirit of wokeness, how is it that we can speak to a country and to the church about this? Isn't that amazing? It is really incredible. Um, You know, I think that we can speak to them about it with just confidence. You know, the the, the greatest thing about, the greatest thing that gives me confidence in um, just in the human aspect of the dialogue about this is that it's really fundamentally an ideology built on lies. Mm -hmm. And lies are threatened by people simply and plainly saying what is true. Um, so, the, you know, the woke movement will say absurd things like, oh, being on time is a white virtue. Hard work is a white virtue. They say Amazing. this in the name of being fighting racism, but those are incredibly racist statements. And I think when we, the more we point out how absurd these things are, um, the more people will begin to open their eyes to it. Well, absolutely. I'm so grateful, Noel, that uh, we have established a uh, kingdom relationship uh, over the airwaves here. And through your book, I appreciate uh, the gift that you have given us through this book, Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. Now, when we think of the term ideology, friends, generally speaking, people are talking about political ideology. But again, this the fundamentals of this are not political. Those are the symptoms that we're seeing. The fundamentals of this movement are spiritual. This is founded in a spiritual rebellion against God and his authority to elevate humankind as the ultimate arbiter of truth. That's what it's all about. So get a copy of the book, Awake Not Woke. It's a $28 hardbound book. Here's for $21 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Uh, We would greatly appreciate it. And... Given the nature of our times, given the severity of what we're facing, the need for the call and getting the message out, I ask that you become a partner with us. If you've been waiting for somebody else to do it, don't wait any longer, friends. It's time for us all to step up to the plate because time is running out. Go to our website, make your generous gift there, saveus.org. Pray for us. Pray for our uh, guest here, Noelle Merring, and her voice. And make us a blessing. May God make you a blessing today. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.